This is the Sorry I Offended You podcast. If you get offended by revolutionary ideas, hypermasculinity, wrong things, sexual references, or success in general, then I please advise you to still leave a five-star review so people who don't have a stick up their ass can still find you. I am your host, Brandon Marshall Haven, aka the Spiritual Smartass. Let's dive into the shenanigans and motivational fuckery for today. to the Sorry I Offended You podcast. Today, I am talking about five ways to build a successful relationship. I had some fun on social media, and that's where the conversation started. Um, but first and foremost, before I get into this, I want to say that um, I do have a lot of experience teaching relationships. I have a lot of experience from my own path in life. And then also clients as well. Um, Something that's common with some of my clients has been uh, the ability to go from a situation like divorce or a situation where they haven't had that healthy relationship in a while or or there was a blockage in attracting that relationship and then quickly moving into attracting a healthy relationship and helping them thrive. So there's a few clients that come into mind that went from divorce to finding a new healthy relationship that was more aligned to them. A few clients that come into mind where, you know, they haven't been dating for a while and then they got back into the relationship game and they found somebody who was aligned to them. And then also myself in my experience and my journey, I want to say that relationships in a way is not necessarily about the situation that you're in, you know, the external relationship. It's about being the type of person that attracts relationships. And I wholeheartedly believe that if you're not attracting healthy relationships, it's something that gets to be done in the internal, the mindset that can help you be a person that attracts relationships easily. Um, I became a person that attracts healthy relationships easily. Something that happened in my life was I went through a breakup and I went through a lot of loss in the year of 2017. And I wouldn't say my past relationship was necessarily bad. It was definitely something that was aligned to me when it first started. And it was a long, it was sort of like a life partnership. Um, but we were both in our twenties and things of that nature. And I grew, I grew up and my identity shifted and it no longer became aligned, but I went through a lot that year, a lot of loss. I, it was a painful experience that breakup, but it was also a painful experience that year with my business at the time where I was just, you know, financially things were tough for me. Um, and then also the loss of my mother that year. And I say that because I was in a pivotal moment of my life where it felt like there was a huge storm in my life and there was a lot of loss going on in my life. Hold on. Uh, let me make sure my, I get my head in the camera. I don't want to be cutting off my head. I know you guys watch this podcast to see my forehead. Um, but there was a lot of loss in my life and there was, there's different routes that one could take in that situation of a breakup. In fact, my personal development journey happened through a breakup before then. So like breakups seem to be like this big uh, shift in people and and that heartbreak creates that avenue to openness to the learning. And honestly, if it wasn't for those experiences in my life, you know, I wouldn't have addressed the healing that I got to go through. You know, I was a totally different person. The first breakup talking about is, you know, when I was like 19 years old and then, <laughs> and then the second, I was going to say 29, but I think it was like when I was 30, it's like pivotal moments in my life that helped me heal and grow. Um, especially that first one. I think, you know, like if I wasn't led on the, the, the path of personal development, I would be carrying a lot of trauma into my life and into my family. So I'm grateful for those experiences. I'm grateful for my younger self for being open to learning. And I think that's a crucial thing that people need to know um, in these experiences. And again, like one of the things that I mentioned here 
in the five ways to build a successful relationship, one thing is healing your own shit. Um, and I'll get into more of that later, but that's such a huge thing, you know, such an important thing in life and relationships are such an important thing in life to be skilled at so you can manage it. You know, um, I'm not into fatherhood yet. Not my thing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I do have dreams of becoming a father and aspirations. And it's something that Rebecca and I have talked about anointing me as a father. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, like expanding our family and things like that. And, um, you know, it's something that we're planning. And I feel like I'm prepared, at least. I don't know what type of situations I'll be in and what kind of challenges it will bring. I can get an idea. I know it's easy for me to say as a um, person without a kid how easy it, it looks or whatever. <laughs> On paper, it sounds easy. But I understand that there's going to be challenges that um, that will be new to me and that I get to face. And it will probably bring up more stuff for me to grow as a human being. But I say that because I feel like at least with the relationship skills I have and the relationship skills that I'm going to be teaching on this podcast, at least I have a fighting chance, right? <laughs> um, but really, not even just a fighting chance, but like it just served me in a way uh, to become a person and to grow and to maybe stop some generational curses um, to not carry my pain into future generations of my lineage and help me be emotionally intelligent. And I think that's a big thing. A th big thing about relationships and even how you show up in business is who are you becoming and are you addressing the internal stuff that needs to be addressed and are you being the best version of you that you can be? So without further ado, let's get into the first part of this podcast, um, which is a fuckery piece and the fun that I've had on Facebook. But there's, you know, knowledge within the fun, obviously, you know, the show. Um, so first and foremost, I want to go into my masculinity nonsense. So if you missed it, I made one post saying masculine men only want sex, <laughs> divine masculine men only want to hold space. Namaste. Most people laughed at that and got that. What I, I was just making fun of the divine masculine kind of term, and I have another post like that as well. Um, I said masculine men have big dicks, might have big dicks, but divine masculine men have huge containers. Now, the thought process behind these divine masculine and masculine posts is kind of like making fun of the whole, I'm a nice guy. It's, it's basically the spiritually evolved thing of like, I'm the nice and harmless guy. And um, all the women want to date the jerks, you know, like masculine men, you know, are the superficial jerk men. And then divine masculine men are the spiritual yoni boys that are like, I'm divine and I'm masculine. And uh, I just hold a lot of space so women should, should trust me. Um, but really, you know, like the nice persona comes off as manipulative just to explain the joke as a translation, because every one of these posters, like at least one to three people in that range that are like, take it seriously. Um, the big dick and the, <laughs> the holding a lot of space thing. There were some people that came onto the post and said, well, some men can do both. And it's like taking it literally. And it's like, no, I want the polarization. You can either hold huge space or you either have a huge dick. There is no in-between. All right? Don't ruin my fun. Don't ruin my polarity. Okay, so let's see. Where do I want to go next here? Um, one thing I posted this morning was I feel like relationships are becoming like dieting. People will try and any trend to fix their situation except actually healing. The reason why I posted this is because I see so many fucking trends of like, let me try polyamory. Let me try opening the relationship up. And it's like this have my cake and eat it too mentality. And it's like some people do it to fix cheating. Some people fucking do it um, because like they, they just want to have their cake and eat it too. Which, by the way, I don't like the term have your cake and eat it too. Because um, it's like, of course, if I have my cake, I'm going to eat it. But like 
the thing is, it's like relationships do require, I don't like the word sacrifice, but changing up your life, like to the commitment of a relationship. You can't approach a relationship the same way as you approach being single. And I think a lot of people in this world or a lot of people in the spiritual community approach relationships the same way as they would approach being single because they're afraid of letting that identity of being single die of some sort or letting go of that single lifestyle or letting go of any type of selflessness. I think society right now, there's a lot of selfishness and ego in society. Um, I think some of the some of the like, you know, feeling like I'm giving my loyalty and, um, you know, um, embracing parenthood or embracing having this long term marriage as like I'm giving a part of myself for it. And I know it's going to be challenging, but I know it's going to be fulfilling. I feel like so many people are addicted to microwave style pleasure and not the long term pleasure that might not feel like an instant hit of dopamine. You know, like having a kid might not be an instant hit of dopamine or raising a kid or wiping puke off your kid's, uh, you know, shirt <laughs> or whatever may not be that instant hit of dopamine. But when it's all said and done, you raise a child in this world. I, I, I feel like it probably feels very fulfilling. You know, that's the reason why I'm committed to the married life. That's why I'm committed to having kids in the fu near future. Um, because overall, I think it's fulfilling. I think it's legacy building. I think that it's a beautiful thing to do. It's challenging. It's not quick. You know, it's not necessarily on paper like um, feeding into your cheaper desires um, or your um, bodily functioning desires. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying, but you know what I mean. It's, it's not like the cheap or like the, you know, playing off all your fucking fantasies, but it's something that's rewarding um, to build a family. And I think the issue here is when I'm talking about this stuff is I think people are trying to have it both ways. Like, okay, if you want to go around, have casual sex or whatever, and um, you want to explore your sexuality, all, more power to you. And I think some people need that in, on their path. But trying to have both of like i'm going to commit to somebody which requires you to care about the, you know like marriage is about uh within sickness and health you know there's like that avenue of there's like that sacrifice there where it's like i'm going to be with you i'm going to be loyal um it's like people kind of want to like enjoy that single life but also build a family at the same time. And I think sometimes you can run into problems with that. And I'm not trying to shit on different relationship styles and things of that nature. I just noticed that people lie to themselves, you know, like in instances where someone opens up their marriage later on, um, one person is lying to themselves saying like, Oh, I want this when a lot of times the person doesn't want it, even if they don't say it outright. Um, and then another thing is, is like, just trying to have the best, like, I want, want this person to love me, but I also want to act like I'm single. So anyway, um, that's what I was saying. I did get a, uh, a comment here that I wanted to share my response because I thought it was valuable. Um, someone said, well, aren't all the trends and avenues and attempts at healing? Telling someone to just heal is like telling a depressed person to just be happy. It's true, but how they find happiness is the journey. I responded to that and I said, I think they could be ways to find, help find yourself, you know, exploring your sexuality and things of that nature, but not ways to be the ultimate fix. I see it more as an unhappy person using addictions as a distraction and telling people they need to heal the deeper wound instead. This short post isn't meant to be full circle. I'm all for leaning in deeper rather than delusional positive thinking your way out of things. So actually my angle of the post to actually heal, I meant to actually heal, not to like smile your way out of it or positive thinking your way out of it. It's like do the healing. On well, my journey, what really helped me, um, you know, if, if just going back to my breakup in 2017, 
I use that opportunity of feeling the pain coming to the surface to do emotional freedom technique, you know, to journal, to stick to my routines, like working out and, and working on myself even more and appreciating myself. And, you know, really just using that opportunity to become a better person and to transform, to lean in, into any emotion that's uncomfortable. And to me, that's what sped up the process of, you know, being able to love again, being able to embrace love again and find a marriage now that is super aligned to who I am. You know, at that point, I didn't think it was possible, not necessarily not thinking it's possible, but it wasn't, I guess it, it just wasn't in the realm of possibilities or I just wasn't thinking about it of being with a soulmate that shared similar passion as I do. And not saying that you have to have someone with the exact similar passion, but just our values are so aligned. Um, we both have that growth mindset, which really helps um, somebody else who's also nourishing their own relationships, you know, or nourishing the relationship that we're in and takes ownership and things of that nature. It makes a world of difference. Being with another person with an entrepreneur mindset makes a world of difference. And again, like it, it doesn't have to be that way, but I realized how good that was for me to have someone that fully sees me and understands me like Rebecca. So, um, yeah, you know, like I just wanted to share that, like what I'm advocating, what I advocated in this post was to lean in, to actually heal. And I guess you can make the complaint that I don't tell people how to heal. And what I recommend with that is like, don't look at my short posts, <laughs> dig deeper, l listen to this podcast. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to learn some things. You know, if you work with me personally, you're going to be able to transform and you're going to learn some things. It's like, it's my clients that have been working with me for long term that were able to shift their relationships and how they relate. It's doesn't usually happen with one call. You know, it doesn't happen with one training. It's happens with the dedication. Either you invest and you collapse time and, you know, if, if you're able to do that, awesome. But even investing doesn't always look like that either. You know, it's like you invest yourself into doing the healing work and doing what's calling to you at that time in order to become the person you want to be. Um, your life can be extremely amazing when you shift the relationship with yourself and the relationship you have to others and how you relate to relationships and when the discomfort comes up that you're willing to heal that stuff. So I didn't, you know, I post these short things. I'm not like trying to be a dick, <laughs> you know, I just, I, I'm not trying to hold back answers and stuff, but Hey, like dig deeper, you know, it's, I can't say everything in one post. I can't say everything in this one podcast. I can say as much as I can. I can talk for th five hours if you want me to, but you know, it takes time. It takes mastery. It's an act of mastery, right? Something that I always disagreed with was like people who are looking for, like think it's like about having a matchmaker or some shit like that. And I'm not trying to down that. Like there's, there's some value in that as well. But I think it's more about being the person that you want to be, being the person that that would inspires you be the person that would inspire you. And then you'll inspire somebody else and learning the tools of relationships and learning um, is really, you know, I want to say like conservative number 80% is bettering yourself. And when you better yourself and when you evolve and I don't like using the word high value, but I actually make fun of it. But it's like when you are emitting value, when you're a pleasant person to be around um, and you bring something to the table, it's a lot easier to attract a relationship in your life. And it's a lot easier to maintain a relationship when you've healed your side of the street. Um, so anyway, one last post that started it all that I want to share was I said the red flags get worse as you read on, but really this relationship died when there was a compromise made to have an open marriage. Actually, likely long before that. So what this said was, um, this was a post off maybe Reddit, I don't know, but it was someone asking a question and it said, 
My husband only dates women 18 to 25. My husband, 36, and me, 29, have been married for almost five years. Two years ago, we decided to try opening up. I guess you could call our relationship nesting primaries who occasionally date other people. Mostly it's been fun. I've had a few fun casual relationships, but now I've been getting older and now that I'm pregnant and my body is going through permanent changes, I'm feeling really anxious and jealous that he is continuing to seek out much younger women. We're also quite kinky, so I know that he loves the fantasy of a teen virgin he can train. These fantasies didn't bother me so much when we were monogamous, but now that he has gone on a few weekend getaways with hot 21-year-olds, I'm feeling much like old news. To conclude this, I'll say he's been incredibly cool and non-jealous about me dating others, so now I feel like I'm just making trouble. It's really hard for me to not compare myself, though, when I'll never look like a teen again after I give birth, and I know that's what he's attracted to. So a lot of red flags, a lot of people had opinions, a lot of people were a bit pissed off about this, um, if you can imagine. Um, and, you know, this kind of started the conversation between monogamy and polyamory. And, I'm, I mean, obviously, I guess I, on a personal level, I favor monogamy. I don't want to shit on anybody else's lifestyle, but I do want to point out the truth that a lot of people lie to themselves. And I think it is a bit of a red flag when a relationship starts off monogamous and they decide to open up the relationship, especially after the marriage, because you're changing some serious agreements. And in this situation, I get a hunch that the woman wasn't all on board to opening up the relationship. It seems like she was following her husband. I could be wrong. Um, but it feels like she settled in a way. Maybe something happened in the relationship that maybe, you know, like a lot of people try to save a relationship if there's infidelity by opening it up. Um, you know, there's many things that could have happened. And the thing is, I'm going to share this because I think I've shared this in the comments. I'm going to wait for that. But there's a few um, things I wanted to share that happened in this thread. So someone replied saying, curious, why do you think the relationship died before they decide to open? She says, I wish more relationships were open, maybe less broken families with kids, 50% divorce rate and infidelity. Um, so obviously the divorce rate is high. Um, and I made, I made another post just recently. I said something along the lines of monogamy is not the reason why 50% there's a 50% divorce rate. It's because, did I read that already? I don't know. <laughs> I've been posting a lot. Um, monogamy is not the reason. It's because people aren't building their relationship skills. People aren't addressing it. Like you don't learn it in academics in school. Um, you know, like, of course, like, of course it would be 50% if people are just kind of winging it and shooting from the hip in relationships. Like, that's actually a pretty high success rate for people who are just fucking winging it, to be honest. Um, so that's my thoughts there. But I think when my whole thing here, the whole theme about this polyamory thing and my gripes with how people approach it, not my gripes with everyone who is in a polyamorous relationship, but how a lot of people I see approach it is that they approach it as a fix for monogamy, like monogamy didn't work, you know, just like, you know, my issue with the comment is that like, how is adding more to the equation going to make it more stable for kids, right? You know, how, how, you know, you're filling up that brim of capacity. How does that make it easier? Um, you know, that's my opinion. But I said, but here's what I said. I said, because it's a drastic change in agreement. I think in most cases when a marriage is monogamous and they open it, it's very rare that both parties are 100% wanting a, an open relationship. It sounds like she married a man who has an issue with cheating or was never wanting that level of commitment in the first place. Open relationships as a solu solution to infidelity is a band-aid that eventually tears apart for a much deeper wound. 
It's hard for me to imagine that taking up more capacity with pleasing more partners would nourish the family structure more than monogamy. I don't think it's impossible, but I don't fall in the line of thinking that monogamy is a culprit to families. So that was my thought there. A lot of comments. You know, people love talking. I might. I don't know, man. I think I'm going to be posting about this stuff more because it's been fun. Um, you know, let me know. Send me a message. Send me a, a you know, let me know on, on your favorite platform that you follow me on if this content has been um, interesting to you. And if you want to learn more, you know, if you have any specific questions that you want me to address, you know, if, if you want support around this, whatever it is, no pressure at all. But this is something I've been passionate about talking about. You know, I, I feel like I've been, I'm going to talk more on a mushroom podcast, maybe um, talking about my mushroom journey. But I feel like I've been moving on into kind of just like more kind of like inner work, family man type stuff. Like I've been really passionate, but passionate talking about masculinity and what I want to see flourish in the world. So it's been it's been a good time so let's see what else there was another interesting comment here if i can find it i won't stay around too long <laughs> okay so another thing someone said on the comments that created an interesting conversation someone said the saddest thing about this post are actually your comments here they give me the feeling that everybody here sees themselves as grounded, conservative, elite, that has figured everything out and that this post just here is just some idiotic leftist bullshit. Now, I'm not sure. I don't think I don't think politics were really mentioned in here, but we'll move on. And even though parts of that might be true, there is something most of you guys seem to ignore. Here we have young, open-minded couple trying to find a progressive and brave way for a fundamental problem of many committed long-term relationships in our time. I'm not a dad. My girlfriend is not pregnant, so I don't have practical experiences about those things. But I had conversations with many men, fathers, who are today in their 40s, 50s, or 60s, tell me about this huge, this topic here is a huge problem. You fell in love with a sexual woman that made you feel desired and sexy. But suddenly your lady turns mainly into a mother. Caring fully focused for your baby, but being less and less sexual and less and less interested in you as a man. Society's way to deal with this seems to be prostitution, ignorance, and cheating. What I see here is the idea of trying something more honest and transparent, obviously with some flaws and securities and problems. But I really wonder why, for all of you, it see, this seems to be mainly a list of red flags. Genuinely curious about that, and yes, maybe it could be that I am pretty naive about those topics. Happy to hear some of your thoughts. So someone responded, which I liked, saying, um, you're reading this out of order. They opened the relationship before she got pregnant. Also, pregnant women often have some of the highest sex drives on earth. You're thinking of lactating people. It's true that when a woman is nursing for the first year or two, she often not always has a lower sex drive. I do agree that more couples should be aware of this, and men should definitely keep sharing information about how they got through that dry spell. Whether through some form of polyamory, through tantric practices, though, through whatever, this couple isn't there yet, and the husband, who is in his 30s, has a preference for teenagers. The biggest red flag all these women are reading, or at least mine, is about her behavior towards him and her thoughts about her own body and worth. Why are we seeing it like we figured it out? Probably because we've been through some version of this. Being afraid to talk to a partner because we are intuitively know where our worth is to make them and that we won't make it. And therefore recognize that massive flag flying out of her mouth or her fingers. Um, and then I responded. So I, I, I leaned into the political part of this, you know, cause I, why not? Like if you're going to bring up politics, let's go. So I said, I didn't think politics were expressed here, but I do have thoughts on that. I can marry a liberal woman like I have. I could never marry a leftist woman. A liberal from 2010 is a lot different to me than a leftist from 2020. 
The goal for leftist ideology are to, one, dismantle the nuclear family, two, feminize men and make masculine men the enemy, three, give government direct influence to children rather than the parents. The result of all this is dividing people, making it harder to relate, and creating a constant power struggle instead of a union. It's the exact opposite of what you need if you're trying to build and protect a family. Marriage is a big commitment. I don't want to downplay sex and intimacy, but if a man is going to resort to cheating, prostitution, or pushing her to open the marriage, etc., to please his desires, then I don't think he's ready or focused to get married or have a family. I got married because I want to move into this next chapter of my life to raise a child, build a business together, and the soul connection of a long-term marriage and what a soul connection of a long-term marriage brings. Vows in marriage is to be there through sickness and in health. A lower sex drive is minor compared to what I've committed to. And to me, a lower sex drive is minor compared to all the gifts that marriage and building a family can bring. I definitely see intimacy as important, and that doesn't always look like sex, but I didn't get married for that. With that being said, I don't think ultra-conservatives have nailed it. And just because they are conservative doesn't mean they've, they're being honest with themselves. I think the other extreme where their suppression, closed-mindedness, and no exploring at all can be a disaster in itself. But I think a lot of society today creates unnecessary complications for themselves, chasing things that feel great short-term, but complicates things in the long run, trying to fix deep wounds with band-aids while leaving the wound there. I think there are gifts with both conservatism and liberalism. I think if somebody can find that harmony between honoring tradition while also improving what past generations do, they can be in a very good place. With leftism, it seems like it's always throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, the idea of exploring your sexuality is great, but if you demonize everything people used to do, so you, do you can miss out on the gifts that marriage has to offer beyond sex. I'm not a parenting expert, but raising children has its challenges. The reason why I want to do it is because I know how rewarding it is as well. That's important to me and than playing out a fantasy by dating a 21-year-old. That's more important to me than playing out a fantasy by dating a 21-year-old. If men or women want to play out their fantasies, that's cool too, as long it's, as it's honest and not manipulative. The biggest mistake in this post is that he clearly wanted his fantasy more than marriage, and now his wife is trapped. So that's what I wanted to say. Like, I think it is important for a married couple to take intimacy as a priority for sure, um, and to keep the you know keep the flame going between the couple. You know, like I think there's a lot of people. Uh, older than me that I see where I guess that love and connection is not a priority for them anymore. You know, I see some people grow up and they just want to be around somebody. So I do think that there's an importance of intimacy. But I don't think the answer is to look for intimacy outside of the marriage. If especially if you like originally are monogamous, um, obviously, like live your life and do you know live your lifestyle and stuff like that but in my view is that if i have a kid and the intimacy or the sex drive isn't there um i want to be there building my family i want to be there trying to mend that with my wife i want to be able to make that change so in my opinion if you have an issue in your marriage I don't want to be like, if I have an issue, I don't want to be looking outside. So I'm no longer building my own marriage. Um, trying to find pleasure and to feed my desires outside of the outside of that marriage. And that's taken energy outside of the marriage that I committed to. And I said that I was loyal to. So that's the issue I see in these scenarios. And it's like, you really have to be emotionally mature and specific in your agreements if you want to make an open relationship or polyamory work 
And my main criticism here is a lot of people are trying to fit square pegs into round holes. Um, did I share what I said this morning? I think I did. I said it was like, it's like diet culture, right? It's like, you know, people are d using different style of relationships like fad diets that's going to fix something. But it's not, it's, it's not addressing the wound that's there. Um, so it creates these complications. Like if you're leaving to appease yourself and those, and to heal those wounds or whatever's going on, you're not building what you committed to build, especially in a vulnerable time when you're raising a child in the first stages of raising a child. I feel it's so important for the two people to be working like a team. And I know I'm not a parenting coach. I know that I'm just about to start this journey, you know, any, any, uh, any month now, <laughs> just about to start this journey. Um, but I think I have a fucking point. <laughs> I think I have a fucking point and I'll rebrand, I'll rebrand myself as a parenting coach soon. You just watch, I'm working on my 10 page book right now. But anyway, I just wanted to say that like, from my experience in relationships, it's so important to stay centered and to be with your lady or your fella in the storm when things are going down. If you're running away from the storm every time things get a little bit hard, how are you growing that relationship? It's like having a garden and saying like, fuck, I don't like my garden. Um, it looks all dry and shit. Instead of pouring water and fertilizers and whatever else you need and grass seeds into your garden um, or planting seeds in your garden. I could have just said seeds. I extend the metaphors too far. Um, if you just put seeds in your fucking gar garden in instead of being like, look, the neighbor's garden's nice and green. Let me go over there. Eventually, if you escape to the neighbor's garden, you're going to fuck that up too because you don't have the loyalty and discipline to be able to seed gardens. Right. You, you know, as soon as the, their garden gets kind of brownish, you're going to be like, eh, I don't like this garden. I'm going to go to the other garden. So I think like the big thing is, you know, take your commitment seriously. And when you commit, commit fully. And, you know, once you make that commitment, you don't need to be questioning it like you made your decision, you know. And I think that's what really helps. So anyway, let's get into the five ways to build a successful relationship in the mind of Brandon Marshall Havener. So five insights that's helped me here is one, know your priorities, family over cheap thrills. That's basically what I've been saying. Um, you know, take care of your family, make your family a priority, make the woman that you're already with or the man you're already with a priority. Like, be in yes or no territory, not maybe if I add in another person to this equation, then it'll fix things. Or maybe if I use this distraction, like, and really be real with yourself, what's the distraction and what's actually amplifying the relationship. Be real with yourself and communicate with your partner if that's what they want, if you are opening the relationship. Um, but really, it's, it's about like making your family and your partner a priority instead of your desires, the priority. And when you make your partner a priority, then your desires will be fulfilled. Maybe it won't be some of the more, is, is worldly the right word? Like worldly desires? That's like, you know, your fantasy that you see in a porno, but your partner will be able to please you when you focus on intimacy instead of distractions. And perhaps, um, maybe this message, this message is good for a lot of people, perhaps giving up porn. Um, because I think, I mean, I know that porn desensitizes us and disconnects us and, and has us thinking selfishly and really, you know, and I'm talking a lot more about men here. It just disconnects us and it drains our energy and our power and it, it fries our dopamine receptors. And it's just a horrible thing to pair with the relationship. In some cases, it can certainly be good. I think, you know, some people may watch porn to help, you know, uh, 
you know, make sex more spicy if that's your thing. But um, there's a lot bad, you know, a lot bad to look at and a lot to consider there with porn. Um, two, number two, I keep forgetting I'm on video here. Um, speak arguably, be willing to be wrong. So another thing that helps me and Rebecca so much is that we're both willing to be wrong. Like we're both not trying to be right. Like I might joke sometimes, like if I, I'm right about something, I might brag or something like that, but we're, our egos are out of it. Um, we're open to being wrong. We're open to apologizing. This kind of goes against my advice for cancel culture. When it's asshole strangers on the internet, never apologize. But when it's your relationship, um, be willing to apologize when you do something wrong. Um, and both being apologetic can be helpful. Like, even if it is something that may be primarily, you know, a conflict that maybe Rebecca was primarily part of or something um, that we were in and she owns up to something and apologizes, I'll apologize for, you know, some of the ways that I might have reacted um, or I'll reflect on the ways that I can show up better in the relationship. And I think to have that conversation going is super important in a relationship. And I'll also say this, um, something else that's coming to mind here is a relationship with no conflicts uh, is there's a lot of suppression going on there. And that's not a good thing to never have a fight. And then a relationship that is just a trigger fest and it's constant fighting is not good. And really, honestly, like I feel like Rebecca and I, maybe there might be something kind of um, sharp or chunky. In the in in our relationship where there is something that we need to communicate over, uh, I don't even like using the term fights because we it's like we're not like duking it out or nothing or we're not yelling at each other, um, but you know like we have conflict, probably I guess on average once a month, but you know, it's something that's like, it just kind of pops up every once in a while and it helps us grow closer together. And I think it's a great opportunity to grow closer together because then you can walk your, you can notice each other's triggers and you can grow through that process. Maybe you can grow through your own triggers in that process. Maybe you can help learn, you know, if you're open to learning, you can learn to be a better husband, a better wife um, in those situations. And if you're both on the same team, asking yourselves how can we make this situation better instead of how can i make that other person wrong you're in a good space um number three learn the drama triangle now i can't stay on this topic forever on this podcast and you know it's something that you can look up it's something that you can hire me for um it's definitely something that i work with a lot um just with relating with people and relating with yourself. But the drama triangle essentially is broken down into victim, villain, hero. And essentially what happens is, is every time you're in drama with somebody, somebody's playing the villain, somebody's playing the victim, and then the hero's involved in that. Um, and that's what happens when you're pointing blame at each other. And that's what happens when you're abandoning your ease and flow. So one example I like to use is if you're playing the hero, that means that you're overextending yourself for somebody else to rescue them and to save them. But eventually the rubber band snaps back. So in a relationship that would look like you sacrificing yourself and you overgiving to your partner. And then all of a sudden thing you start to get frustrated and you feel like the victim because you overgave and maybe you feel unappreciated. So that's like one example. And then somewhere along the lines, you play the villain and you're pointing fingers at each other and you're on the drama triangle with each other. So when you learn the dynamics, you learn to see it. You learn when you are um, playing the victim in the relationship. You learn when you're overgiving as a hero. You learn your own tendencies. You learn if you're the people pleasing type and that leads into your fights in your relationship and you you get to unravel that 
And I feel like that's one of the best skills is learning the concepts of the drama triangle and tuning into myself. Um, something big for me has always been being the rescuer. That's a, a pattern that I learned growing up. And, you know, even early in my hobby or business ventures, like I would give my services for free, right? You know, that's outside the relationship stuff, but it, it bled into my relationships where I would always overgive and then I would be upset that I would win it receive. Um, and I would be upset and I would be feeling like the victim afterwards. Um, and of course, like both people in that situation play villain some way, somehow. So I had to break a lot of those patterns and, and learn not to people please. And that really assisted me in my relationships. Um, four, heal your shit. This is important. Rebecca and I met each other on a level of where we healed a lot of our shit. And one, like, obviously you're not going to be perfect. I'm not advocating that you have to be perfect in order to be in a relationship. Um, we both were working through some stuff, of course, but we had the personal responsibility and the mentality and the growth mentality to heal our own shit. Because like they say, <laughs> it takes two to tango. Um, but something that resonated with me a while back was noticing that it only takes one person to fuck up a relationship. So you could be a growth mindset and you could have all your shit together um, and you could be dedicated to it. But if the other person doesn't have that growth mindset and they don't have the priorities and you know they don't value it and they're, they don't have the same commitment, then they can fuck up the relationship. And oftentimes, you know, that kind of goes into hero thing. Like, you know, if you're playing the hero, you kind of want to take responsibility. You're constantly looking like, oh my God, what did I do to make this relationship go sour? You know, something could happen where the person has an affair and then you start blaming yourself. Like, how did I make them cheat on me, right? Um, that would be acting out as a hero or the people pleaser to the point where it's like, oh, I healed my shit. And instead of like defending yourself in that aspect, like obviously you don't want to become a bitter, resentful person, but you know, instead of per taking up for yourself in a situation where someone betrays you, um, you're wondering what you did to cause that. Um, you're wondering um, what you can do to make it better. So, you know, instead of protecting yourself, like you're abandoning yourself for that other person and you, you skip straight to like, oh, I get why they hurt me because they're wounded. I feel bad for them rather than, hey, what about you? Um, but anyway, I digress. It's important to heal your shit. It's important to have, you know, personal growth as a goal, you know, to learn about relationships and, and to commit to it. Um, even investing time, energy, and money into it. Um, and, you know, some of my favorite healing modalities that helped me along the way was EFT tapping, journaling, meditations, things of that nature. Um, like those are really healing. And then just like taking personal responsibility of my approach. Number five is be responsive, not reactive. A lot of people are conditioned in life to be reactive when it comes to relationships. Oh, if I do something fucked up, I'll buy her flowers. Well, why isn't buying her flowers a normal thing? Um, oh, I guess we'll go on a date night because like things have been bad or, um, you know, I'll get coaching or therapy if things get bad. You know, things are bad. It's time for coaching and therapy. Why weren't you coaching and getting therapy or investing in knowledge when things were good. You want to be responsive. You don't want it to get to the point where things are bad to where you're investing or you're learning. Um, you always want to be learning. You don't just walk down the aisle and marriage done. And now I'm going to just coast all the way through the marriage. That's where a lot of things fuck up because people become complacent. You know, and it even like your personal thing, you know, it's like, are you still taking care of your health? Are you still taking care of yourself? Are you still 
committed to what you're doing in the world and your business. You know, like one of the most attractive traits, at least spoken to a man, is that when you're so involved in your purpose and you're not so focused on chasing women, women often are attracted to you because you're so dedicated to your purpose. So has your your stance shifted since being in a relationship? I definitely made that mistake in high school um, before I knew better. <laughs> the first thing that led me to my first email list of getting dating and relationship coaching and understanding. But the first thing that, um, you know, like I gave up lifting weights in my first, I became very codependent. Um, I put my relationship first and that doesn't mean it's bad to make your relationship a priority, but I put it above my purpose and I nearly abandoned my purpose at a young age. Um, and then wondered why that relationship fell apart. So, you know, it's like just being responsive and staying on top of your game. A lot of people get that energy when they're single, you know, they get that energy and, and, you know, rightfully so sometimes you leave a toxic relationship and you get that new form of energy and you start uh, inspiring yourself on a whole new level. But the key in a relationship is to consistently inspire yourself and to win your partner over even when you're already winning, like continue to strive to win your partner over, you know, continue to feed, to deposit into the bank account of your relationship of them being proud that they're with you and not making them regret their decision and not putting them in a hard place where it's like, this isn't the man or the woman that I met, you know? And again, like I said, in marriage it's sickness and in health and, and uh, you want to be th with that person through thick and thin, but you don't want to create and be complacent in a relationship to where, um, you know, you're not pulling your weight or you're not, you're not nourishing the relationship. You're not throwing the seeds in the grass, right? You're not being a team player and raising your kids. I know that I can't say that now because I'm not a parent, but You'll be listening to this a year later and then I will be allowed to say it and this podcast will become valid. So, you know, work as a team and nourish that team and build that team. That's what relationships are about. And a lot of us are taught to get in our egos and to fight and point the finger and not be able to harmonize with our closest partner that we choose in life. So that's my episode for today. I hope that helped. That's more in detail where I'm getting at. I'm inspired to be just doing this content on podcasts. I'm going to be doing some videos uh, soon as well. Not, I know I'm on video, but I mean more like polished videos as well. Um, and there's a few topics I want to talk about. So that's where my main focus is right now. Um, share this episode if you really liked it. And yeah, until next time.